You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. In this episode, Michael sits down with Dr. Marcus Powell, Senior Lecturer, PhD Innovation and Master of Enterprise Innovation at James Cook University to discuss his recent Chamber on Tap presentation about how to scale up your business sustainably. Welcome, Michael and Dr. Marcus Powell. Well, good afternoon, Marcus. Uh, Thank you very much for coming along, maybe for the benefit of our listeners. Can you provide us with some background on yourself? Thanks for the opportunity to share my experience and uh, thoughts and practice in the field of entrepreneurship. And one of the big things that we face, which I've learned from a variety of careers, positions, teaching, and also as an entrepreneur starting and growing businesses, the topic that we're going to address today I've been fortunate to work in a vast array of businesses, tourism, textile, scientific instruments, hospitality, education, publication, digital media, and also I've worked across seven countries. The the beauty of that is to understand and appreciate and be sensitive to cultural requirements. So I see a lot of companies going offshore, great product, great price, and they offend everyone on their first day. It's Mm. quite a a challenge, Mm. as you've probably seen. Mm. So at the moment, I'm at the James Cook University based in Townsville and working with undergraduate and postgraduate, mainly MBA students, how to really add value when they go back or they start their own company or work in government or in community because all these things we're going to talk about today are equally applicable for those sectors. Mm, Yes, um, that's exactly right, Marcus. And I guess uh, before we start to look at the barriers... We should undertake, um, in audit terms, that's my background as an auditor, an assessment of the environment in which business owners are operating in. What's what's your um, assessment of, of the environment that's just recently passed and they're currently in? It's one of those things around your mindset when you trained or I grew up in a family that were all entrepreneurs and my parents' friends were all entrepreneurs, so I thought that was normal. And then I left home. Wow, that was a shock. That is not normal. That is... I think lucky for me anyway. And what we're going through right now is a continuation of the chaos before COVID. It's the rate of change has not stopped. Competition has been enhanced and grown from local, national, international. Globalisation, even with the boundaries and the barriers to movement, the digital enabler is really going strong. And technology keeps changing. I'm just trying to keep up what phone ver- version are we up to this week? Mm. And that's why I think we need a lot of people to around us to help old people like myself. Which button do I press again? But it keeps going. This The resource shortage we're seeing now, where are the, where are the people who we thought wanted to work, come back to work? They don't. The models are changing again. Is that work from home now is under severe pressure to go back to the way it was. Should we go back to the past or should we embrace the future? Market and economic turbulence is out of control. Why? We t- look at the the horrors of war, the instability politically, and also the market fluctuation in terms of, I suppose some people like to call it inflation. I keep saying, what haven't we learned from the past? Why are we doing this again? Interest groups are out there more and more, more vocal because they're enabled by digital technology, a much louder voice. And who do you listen to? And now we're seeing who do you believe? This all adds up for me, the increasing complexity of the marketplace. We just can't hang our shingle out the front and say, come on in, have we got a deal for you, and keep on buying and hope that works. It's romantic, 
It's worked in the past. And my challenge to people listening to this podcast, are you prepared to accept another point of view? Mm. And, and Marcus, like you raise a really good point around uh, pre-COVID. Uh, a lot of this environmental change was occurring well before COVID. And indeed, um, as much as many people have said COVID has been a horrific, horrendous, uh, and as we know, a, a killer of a disease, it's also, um, for some businesses, been a godsend. Mm. Um, I am aware of one business uh, who was doing very light traffic, a beautiful little boutique shop, very light foot traffic, uh, struggling in many senses. COVID came along. They managed to secure a small grant and decided to invest it in moving online and making their business available online. And quite frankly, it was a it was a game changer. And all of a sudden, uh, they have doubled or tripled their turnover purely because of that decision to move online. Um, so as much as sometimes these uh, disruptors and, and uh, events um, can be catastrophic and bad, equally they can be an opportunity for change. And you're right. The other thing to consider too is that I've described what we in business are going through or in uh, large organisations or community groups. But your customers are going through exactly the same thing. And you wonder why it's so hard to get someone to concentrate and listen to the benefits and values you're trying to sell. Mm. There's so much going on. So how do you get clarity? And my suggestion would be to simplify the message. We do this, we don't do that. We add value this way, and that's what we stick to. We deliver on our promise, we manage our expectation. And people go, that's too simple. No, really, how many companies do you know do all those things? Do they do what they say every time? Do they manage your expectation? The trap we get into, we try to exceed it, and we set ourselves up for failure. In the current climate and the mindset of most people around the planet is they're looking for certainty. They've had so much disruption, they want someone to do what they say. And my challenge to your members and listeners is do you do what you say? By the way, that's the hardest thing in business because you've got to do it every Mm -hmm. day. Every time, yes. No, absolutely. So I guess turning to this question of uh, ultimately we want all of our customers to say yes every time we're presenting a new product, a new bargain, a new service, etc., what do you see are uh, the main barriers to um, enhancing or creating value? Okay. Well, this I suppose I can't have it. I help it. I put my teacher's hat on now. And when I talk to particularly the, the men and women from who've been in business for a while or they're thinking about changing careers, they talk about how tough business is as a, a matter of things. And talking with them and being fortunate to do it across so many places, it seems to land on these five areas. The first one is, I don't know how to use this new thing that you're selling me. And you go, what do you mean? It's intuitive. I love it when people say it's intuitive. I don't know many humans, maybe from Neptune or Mars, but humans aren't that intuitive. And, oh, well, it's really easy. Here's the manual. I'm not going to read the manual. Mm. It goes on and on. So how easy is it to use your product, service, process, device, instrument. I'm not dismissing the elegance and sophistication of how it works and how clever it is and all the benefits, but if it's really complicated to use, I'm not going to buy it. Mm. How many things, and here's a test, those gadgets we've bought on sale at large warehouses and we bought them home, they're still in, in their box or in a cupboard because it's too hard. I can't even open the box without instructions. 
Mm. And Marcus, I know you've got probably a solution for each of these barriers, and I'll leave it to you whether you want to discuss some of those mm. uh, management mm. techniques or solutions after each one or whether you want to come back and comment across uh, all of them at the end. I think if it's okay, I, I, if there's a problem, here's a, one solution mm. if, as a set as we go along. Mm. So how do you get over, and I'm saying I'm now selling from business to business or business to government, you say to a large business or whoever, I'd like you to stop your operations now and mm. put my new thing in and it will work. And you go, hang on, I'm running a production line mm. and you want me to turn it off. The best and worst example was they went to a large miner in this country, starts with a letter B, and they suggested they, they shut down their smelting process and because we can give you a 15% increase in productivity with the new devices, etc. Mm. And they said, have you done the sums on how much we're going to lose on the shutdown? Hundreds of millions. Just yeah. breathtaking. Yeah. Also, we want to change workflows. You want to change, and you know, in medium to large businesses, we're all going to change offices now for process and pro- the change process itself. You mean I don't sit here anymore? I don't know how to use this new space. And you go, that's pretty strange. No, that's what happens a lot. Mm. Then the other one is that, oh, we have to do training now to use this new thing. Software, for example. And you think, oh, I've, I've just learned the one we've got. And then we've got to stop and do training. So what's the productivity loss on the transformation from 1.1 to 1.2? Do we ever talk about that? And my answer would be not that often. And the next one? The next one is the value piece where Mm. most people think value is all to do with money. It's important, but what about the intangible value? What what things do we get from using this? The, The strongest way at the moment to sell value is not just the economic value, but are you demonstrating your commitment to perhaps sustainability? Are you diversity or governance? Those things that people now are really looking for. And what's interesting too is in the tourism industry, people now are looking when they want to stay at a hotel or a motel, wherever, a camping ground, how sustainable or how green is it first? That's Mm. that intangible value that we often dismiss. And it's already there for you. Mm. So the value piece is really interesting. So, of course, you'll get into a price thing. But most people are quite prepared to pay above the going rate because they really appreciate these intangible values. Especially, I guess, Mark, as if they've been there before and they've come in and all of a sudden it's um, only put your towels in the in the tub if you want them washed and we'd prefer you wait till the rest of your visits finished um, there's environmentally friendly uh, chemicals and you know cleaning products in mm. use there's the recycled toilet paper there's the recycled napkins there's the plastic and you know the, the disposable uh, cups etc um, and you're right people will go away from those things and say you know what I'm prepared to come back here and I'll even pay a premium uh, f- for something that has met that sort of environmentally friendly um, you know sustainable um, uh, you know product line or service it's provided mm. and it's easily identifiable you don't mm. need a lot of effort to find these things and there's a, a model that we use a lot where on one side of the model if you imagine a curve uh, there's the what we call the innovators and the innovators are these people that love to buy new things and they will mm. love to be first mm. and they don't mind how much they have to pay. They just have to be first. And when I ask, say, a group of people in a crowd, who likes to be first? And at the, at the, at the recent seminar we did, uh, I asked the crowd, who likes to be first? Think of your favourite hobby. It might be golf. I don't know. And when your new golf clubs comes out, are you the first to buy it? Mm. And it's normally 2%, 3% of 
they're the people you need when you're finding something new because they love it. By the way, the flip side is if they don't like it, they tell everyone. So <laughs> there's a downside. There's yes. always a flip. The next yeah. group are the ones that I really go for. They're the early adopters and they wait mm. for to make sure the innovators haven't been embarrassed or killed, literally. And they're the Hollywood A-listers. So they look all this really cool and they're leading and they're mm. very, that's why they get the mm. huge endorsements because mm. they are in this position. So there's lots of little tools and techniques we can use there around that for the, the value. The value is also now with social media about being included in groups. It's very mm. interesting. We've gone very mm. tribal again. Mm. And that's why the influences have changed from the one that's got a minion to the one that's got 5,000. And the one that's got 5,000, particularly, say, in Townsville, I've got 5,000 direct connections who listen to everything I say. Mm. And I say, you should join the chamber. Mm. They probably will. They probably will. Yeah, yeah. but if I've got a minion... Yeah, it doesn't work. So it's really no. interesting. The last two years, this has been this change on influencing as well. Mm. So how can your listeners become an influencer? They've already got you've already got your customers. Mm. How do you influence them? Yeah, and it's almost like the increased numbers reduces their effectiveness or influence yes. in, in an irony yes. sort of yeah. way. Yeah. So the last thing is price on value, and we all have to deal with the price. I see a lot of people under so much pressure. I always go back to my favourite word: is called margin. Mm. And you've got to have margin. Yes. And if not, think of something else because you can push it out there at a loss just to be there. And that's a psychological as well as an economic activity I go mm. through a lot with owners of businesses. Mm. You know, we've founded our business on this. It's the third generation. And I admire that. And I've mm. worked in family businesses and I get it mm. completely. You know, during the week, you're an employee. On Sunday lunch, you're a son or a a daughter, an uncle or auntie, mm. and it changes again. But mm. what's interesting about that is, is how do you respect the past to build the future? Mm. And it's always about value. So I always move the conversation away from price as much as I can because to me that's the hard piece. Mm. You can get the experts in and look at the costings, et cetera, et cetera, and break evens, all the, all the things that we, don't, we, we know and love because mm. if you don't know that, you don't play. But that's the hard piece about how do you move people into the value. Mm. And I guess in some markets, um, you know, people find themselves as either price takers or price leaders. Um, I suppose in the entrepreneurial space, hopefully some of that disappears and it's all about a price leader because you've got an innovative, new, exciting, mm. um, you, know, you want to sell people on the concept. Look, the price just comes with it and just you've got to be happy to pay that. But um, I'd like to think entrepreneurs are mainly working in that price leader space and they accept people will be prepared to pay a premium, if you know what I mean, for something new. And the, what? The, and you're right because the the pr- they lead with the price, but they really get competitive on the benefit of the innovation mm. the entrepreneurs use. Mm. So you might have a process that you can reduce by fifty percent. We're not going to reduce our sell price for fifty percent, mm. and that's the point. Mm. So managing um, all of those, I know you've you've talked about some of that. Are there any aspects of, of value there that um, have a particular management focus that you would you would use? I still find it interesting that we don't rely enough on, on the profession in accounting and finance to do the the numbers to move us to be proactive to rather than being reactive. Mm. And even though it's speculative, you mm. know the budget. How many will you sell in twelve months' time? We'll do a little prayer, mm. but. You need something to, to work with. I'm surprised how many people who are successful mm. don't use that as a daily tool, if you will. The best company I had was they had on the refrigerator in the staff canteen, they had two columns on the fridge, red and green. And green means we're going to be looking good. 
and how do we individually now know, you all know we're in the red. What are we going to do today to go back to green? They didn't mm. use red and black, but mm. they liked that stop and go. Mm. And people, the first thing they did every day was to go to the fridge, not to open it, but to look at where we were today. Mm. Very proactive. Mm. And, and help people focus, I guess, on is, what they're trying to be is in the green zone. Cause they, but then the teaching piece goes in is that what can I do? Say I work in a warehouse. Mm and I've managed large warehouses here and overseas, is that complex with human, with with activity, uh, go and get an order out, put it in a box, the simple thing, put it on a truck or a train. When you've got 10,000 units, different SKUs as they call them, the, the thing is is that we put a large computerised system in to pick. Our order accuracy was all human first. and We had an order accuracy of about 98% of a 10,000 line item. We put mm-hmm. the computers in. That was my great idea. I was embracing technology. Show me the future. Mm. And we dropped to 63%. Oh, disastrous, yes. Well, when I was taken to the boardroom yes. for a thrashing, yes. what the hell are you doing? And I said, well, we're learning. Mm. Mm. And then it was the, the tension between human and, and machine. Mm. And we had to, because they had a photographic memories, all the people that worked there, they knew where everything was. Mm. And this was in fashion and dyes and Mm. all the different colours of one colour, shades. Mm. They never, order accuracy was remarkable. Mm. So it took the machinery quite a long time to catch up to the humans, Mm. which was an interesting thing. And the value was our orders were always known to be accurate. Certainly another area of risk, uh, of um, barrier in Mm. terms of risk is one of my little pet topics. But yes, tell us about risk as a barrier. Right, there's, the the, there's about no. four or five risks we can take. There's Out of about 20 <laughs> the top categories, five yeah, just is the, top the five. economic risk. Sure. Then there's the reputational risk, and in larger companies, the political risk. And then you see the, the one where I call it the walk away. And most customers are quite forgiving. If something, you know, if mm. you fix it quickly, mm. you do it again. Unforgiving. It's, it's, yep. it's a brutal world. And the risk to me is very deeply psychological for most people. And we can, I've, you know, they say detach from it. It's just a, a break even. It never broke even. No, that's a disaster. Mm. And how do you feel about that? I, that's when I talk in the finance committees. How do you feel about that? Not show me how to do it. Mm. And there's normally from disappointment to horror to this, to that, to this. So then, as the research shows, is that if you're emotionally fired up, the creativity literally stops. Mm. So if you're emotionally exhausted, it's pretty bad. But if you're physically and emotionally exhausted, at best you'll produce superb mediocrity. Mm. And people go, what? Yep. So... <laughs> yes, we're all pretty good at that. Oh, ter- well, guilty as charged. You know? yeah. But the other thing about risk is some people normalise it. Mm. And... I said, what do you mean you've normalised? Well, it's, you know, we, we're gonna, there's going to be mistakes. I said, no, why do you accept that? Mm. And th- over a, a, seri- a period of time, they'd actually normalised that we're going to muck up stuff. How can you be like that? And this, mm. so I ask these questions to them, and they look at me going, but we've always done it this way. Yep. The yep. biggest risk at the moment around the world is geopolitical risk, which we have no control over. We pull one lever, we have a market. We pull another lever, we have no markets at all. And I remember when I was in a scientific instrument management company and we're manufacturing, we spent a year creating a wonderful distribution agreement in Beijing. This was, and we signed the day before Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. Wow. Never heard again. Mm -hmm. 
as it would have not been. Goodness. And it was remarkable, just nothing. <laughs> One lever. And that's an extreme example, but mm. we do that in between states in this country of ours. We do mm. strange and mysterious things. Mm. Even within one country, absolutely. Or even in one town, yeah. that would be controversial. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, I often think about, you know, risk. Risk is the is that the chance or likelihood of, of a bad outcome, or, mm -hmm. and, but it can be lots of things. You know, for auditors, for instance, it's the risk of a material misstatement in a financial statement's um, continuing without being detected by the by the auditors but i guess in that world of sales and and entrepreneurial businesses who are startups often mm. you have to start up a concept um in my early days i was always taught that um you know you'll make losses for the first three years by year five you should be breaking even by year seven you'll have recouped all your losses and yet i see so many businesses only last um sometimes the first year or the, the second mm. year mm. And it worries me that not enough um, resilience has been built into the model to ensure that they can make it through to that fourth and fifth year where they are making surpluses. Um, and, you know, I hear people say, oh, it just didn't work. You know, six months we knew we weren't getting uh, revenue targets, etc. But, um, yeah, look, it, it worries me that the, you know, um, that risk of... Um, just the business itself, let alone getting the customers to say, yes, I want to buy this product. And not once, not twice, but obviously continuing beyond six months and you know, three years later, you've still got that loyal customer. That's that's a, it's a real challenge. And again, probably a very important role for accounting firms to be very much involved with their uh, startup businesses. And you're right on so many points. Is The first one, which is depressing, is, is that the latest data coming out on Australian startups. So... Out of a hundred that start every year, just as an example, mm. is that it used to be around seventy-five, seventy-six percent would be no longer with us. Mm. It's nudging ninety percent now. Wow! Mm. So when I run programs and conversations, we use the term. So you want to play? You want to play in the entrepreneurial space? Do you know how to play? Are you fit enough to play? Mm. And you know when not to play. And it sounds corny, but mm. with those statistics, you better know because on day one when you open your business, you're not in Townsville. Mm -hmm. You're in the Premier League playing against the reigning world champion. Do you know how to play? You better. Mm. And they got blown off the pitch. Mm. And it's terrible. So I, it frightens the hell out of me every time I are part of things. I'm, I know what's going to happen. And you think with all my experience and the, and the people I hang out with and we do these things is that we're so into the data and the research, but we off, we are, at the end of the day, you've got to back yourself. So the other thing too around this field of starting businesses in this country is we still put too much in the startup. And to me, it's that second and third year. If you can get through the first 12, you've got to spend it to make it. I get that. Mm. There's a lot of money in the market right now looking for good people, not good ideas. People invest in people. They don't invest in bits of technology, mm. even though that's what we're told. And way back there was a TV show called The Dragons, Den. Mm. Uh, our listeners would be too young for this. Mm -hmm. And uh, a bit like Shark Tank. And I yes, was asked right. to train people to go on the TV show. And we only lasted three weeks because I trained the applicants how to kill a dragon. 
mm. where the TV shows were always about how the dragons the dragon. and the sharks would yes. do that. Yes. And so the good news is 52 years of, of evidence-based research on how to start a business. We mm. know how to do it. Mm. There's no mystery to it anymore. Sure, there's a bit of luck, but it's all hard work. And a lot of people don't have the emotional and physical fitness, to my earlier point, to go through, or they don't have enough people around them who can support the constant rejections. Mm. And most people don't like to talk about rejections. Every time we take out a new product to a customer, don't like it. Rejection, rejection, rejection. It's exhausting. And that's why mm. change managers only last about 18 months because mm. they every time they want to change something, they're rejected. So in a relationship... We all know how horrible it is mm. to be rejected. Mm. We, we professionalise that now and we call it feedback. Mm. Mm. We're always in search of affirmation. Um, Tradition's another area that you've identified, I think, yes. as a barrier. Yes. It's, um, it's, um, and you've, I know you've talked about that resistance to change and, mm. and always you know, done it this way, I think you said before. Um, yeah, what other aspects of tradition, I guess, uh, represent barriers in the end? It's funny that customers have the deepest traditions. They've always, you ask people, do you always buy the same brand of toothpaste? Or do you buy the same packet of cheese or the same type of bread? Most people say yes. I said, do you experiment? Just, oh, look at that. Let's try a a pink and yellow toothpaste. It's still the same chemistry with a bit of Mm. dye in it. Mm. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. So say your new product is new toothpaste. Good luck with that. Mm. And what's the only way I've seen it work is that we move the whole idea around from what's in the tube to what should be in the tube, a different offering. And should we have a tube or should we have a pellet? Mm. So that the delivery system changes as well. Still cleans your teeth. Mm. So the tradition also, which I've been very lucky to work with Indigenous groups, mainly Western Pacific and Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders, and ran innovation programs to make a contribution for their economic self-determination. And it was great because I'd always been asked either by the Hawaiians or the Cook Islanders or the Samoans, they go, Marcus, what do you know about our culture and tradition? And I say, nothing. Mm. Oh, thank God for that, they'd say. You know, you're not going to sit there. And I said, no, don't be like that. Yep. I said, I, I have traditions. How, how long, and then the joke went like this, how long have you been in Australia? This is me. I was the sole mm. representative of Europeans mm. coming to this country. Mm. A couple of hundred years. Oh, so we've only been here. I love the Hawaiians, about four and a half thousand years. Yep. Maori, you know, and, and then you come back here, 60, 70, whatever the number is. We, uh, and I ask each of the groups about tradition, and they say, when are you guys going to understand that some countries and First Nations people, they can't change? Mm. Not because mm. they don't want it, they just mm. can't. The tradition is too deep. Tradition's deep. too strong. And yep. that, that manifests in products and services and all sorts of things from education to health to sports. And having been involved with it, I've learned so much around the way to start the tradition barrier is to recognise it and accept it. Then the conversation starts. Mm. Where most people say, I can change this or do that, and that doesn't happen at all. Mm. And profit obviously can be uh, an overriding factor. Of course. Yes. Of course. Where that will come if you can manage that transition of being comfortable, being authentic. Mm. I don't really know much about this what you do, where you come from. Mm. You know, you've done all the reading, but that's not sitting with them yes, or having a meal with them if you're lucky yeah. enough to have that. Yeah. The other part of t- tradition is fear of change. Mm. Yeah. Natural, normal, and as we, the turbulence in the market increases, we lock, we lock down or we go the other way and we restructure everything because it stops us making a decision. So outside, 
So we structure insight mm. with the hope that we'll get through the next wave of change. And that might sound cynical, but yep. that's what most people do. Changing the deck chairs in some cases. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think from my point of view, the most um, famous example of this traditionalist approach was Kodak, who had you know, 85, 90% share of the film market and uh, had, through their own people, developed this thing called digital you know, photography. Mm. Put it aside, someone else came along and said, are you using that? And they said, oh, no, you can use that. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh, we're not changing because we've got 85, 90% of the market. And within, I don't know what period of time it was, 20, 25 years, um, 2011, I think it was, they were filing for bankruptcy in America. A very sad, tragic tale of, of some someone who had, you know, great profits, great market share, great product, uh, failed to see the need for technological change. And as we all know, we've all got digital cameras. And what's even to me is that they had such loyal customers. Mm. Mm. And I think the disappointment was there mm. that, you know, there's no one left that can develop a role of film. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and image. Mm. Image is something you've identified mm. as a barrier. It's interesting too when we think about what we represent visually. And you look around any, any and I'm looking out the window here, the bigger the buildings, they'll normally have some corporate lighting on them like their logo. And they always tend to choose primary colours because they're the three colours that we respond to first. We lean into them. We, oh, we get comfort from them. Trust goes up. It's, we're a peculiar species the way we do these things. Mm. However, the image is that if I said Queensland, what's the image of Queensland? And you could say, is that sport? Is that weather? Mm. Is that lifestyle? Is, is it, it maroon, business? the colour? Yep, all all right. that sort of stuff. Yep. So, so if I go Queensland, someone will go this, or I go Northern Territory, or if I go Australia. But if I went Paris... What's the image? Mm. And then if I... Eiffel Tower. Exactly. So romance, yep. So if I mention a company, which I won't, but it, and they go this, and here's the call Acme, Acme Productions, I'm sorry if any Acme owners mm. are here, is that what do we think? And that's why image is so important because it's mm. a, we lean in on a positive reaction. Mm. And when we see things go wrong, the first thing we've seen a lot of the problems and challenges with cyber attacks and the way the two big companies in this country have reacted to manage the fear and expectations of its customers. Mm. What will be the image? Mm. And they've discounted that. They think it's communication, but there's got to be something else in there mm. that will stop people freaking out, to use a technical term, about what's going on with all this, all their knowledge. Mm. Oh, sorry, all their data. The private data. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. The privacy is a notion. I know it was a well and truly gone... 10 years ago, but now it's really gone. Mm. And the image there is harder if you're a new company or you've got a new product. We can leverage of what we've got on our track record, but say, for example, we're going from petrol-driven lawnmowers to battery-driven lawnmowers. Or what about that fear of cars? Mm. And the new battery announcements came out again. We're nearly up to 1,200 kilometres between charges. Mm. Is that enough? Mm. Oh, no, and the naysayers, oh, no. Got to be 2,000. Who does 2,000 without filling a tank up? No, I'm going to fuel tanks four to, four to 500, you know. Exactly. Diesel, maybe seven or eight. But, but that yeah. really displays to me around, not that people don't appreciate this new technology, but it's new. And what's the image is that you used to make, you know, we see Volvo announcing next year is their last year of petrol engines ever. And mm. what about the Volvo drivers? Well, mm. they don't drive them in northern Queensland. Well, maybe they should. Yeah. And it goes on and on. We are a peculiar yeah. species. So the last thing I find is that Australians, 
when I go overseas and I ask people, what do you think of Australia? And they look at you and, and it's always our animals mm. who have the best image. That's I right. said, that's good. Let's put the animals to one side. Let's talk about humans, us. Mm. Oh, well, we don't know about what you people do. You people, I love that. Mm. Mm. And it's, then we start laughing because how can we know so much about if I'm in a Indonesia or in Singapore or in Vietnam or wherever I travel? Mm. And are we proud to say this was made in Australia? I'm not being patriotic, mm. but we seem to almost apologise. Mm. And there's lots of reasons behind all that, but I think that the opportunity now is for us, we call it sovereignty these days, is that can we make our own things? Mm. We need to make our own food. Yes, and, and COVID has shown us that. So what about the image? And that's the one, is, is how do we get people that live in this country to be comfortable and confident and proud of buying what we make and sell? And that's the image piece we have to work on through communication. More importantly, the modelling of the behaviour. This is what we stand for. This is what we do. Mm. And they deliver. Mm. Well, Marcus, I think we could probably talk on forever. Um, and I know we try and keep our podcasts under an hour so that, you know, I know our southern people with their uh, with their transportation to and from work need an hour to fill in a, a gap. <laughs> but up north in Townsville, of course, we only need uh, 20 to 30 minutes at most. Not that you're competitive. No, not that we're competitive. Um, but I did want to ask you one final um, uh, discussion point, I suppose, or raise with you, uh, and that is in the next month you're, I think, going to be chairing or leading a, um, a JCU entrepreneur competition That's involving right. JCU students from Townsville, Cairns, Singapore and Brisbane campuses. That's right. What will you be looking for um, out of a younger entrepreneur that will ensure that they can you know, successfully uh, move into the future and succeed? Well, this is our first attempt at having a cross-campus activity that has a grand prize and there's one prize mm. and the winner takes all mm, it's competition. sounds, sounds mm. like the market yes and what i look for is some fundamental things has the team worked well have they polished worked well communicated well on time every time we're there because we, we drive an expectation schedule you must hit everyone or you're not in which does their heads in Second one is, is that I'm looking for ambition but pragmatism as well. Passion but not emotion, which is a funny thing to say. You have to believe in it but you don't become emotionally okay, attached, attached to it mm. because when someone like me starts to put the pressure on the idea, mm. you're not allowed to react. Because mm. the, the next one is that will you make a, a difference? It doesn't have to be world peace and global domination. It could be changing the life of one person. Mm. To me, that's a very powerful thing. Economic independence, and people say, oh, I'm a not-for-profit. No, no, stop going out there asking for donations. Have an activity for economic independence and make a bigger difference. And the last piece is that are they self-aware enough to say this is going to be hard? And do they know when and who to ask for help? Mm. And a lot of people are still this, I'll get through it. No, you won't. Because everyone wants to cheer for success and we've got to get away from our tall poppy syndrome of cheering for, for mediocrity. We like to bring people down all the time. If mm -hmm. they work hard yeah. and make that difference, we should cheer Reward for their them. success. And yep. that's what I look for. And I think that more and more people, particularly employees, are looking for companies and government departments that cheer for hard work and success. Mm. And look, I know at the Townsville Chamber of Commerce, that's one thing we're very proud of is having a young chamber. Mm. 
and doesn't mean you need to be young. Uh, I, I found that out. You can be young at heart and you're just as welcome <laughs> as anyone else to come along. Fantastic. But it's a great opportunity, we believe, um, for senior business people to be mentoring younger you know, younger sort of business people. So, look, um, Marcus, I'd like to really thank you for uh, coming along and uh, sharing in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I've got a funny feeling we're going to have you back next year uh, to be discussing some other aspects of uh, entrepreneurship and uh, creating that value for new businesses. So well, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. And I wish you and your members prosperity and good health. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Townsville Chambercast. Remember to subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes are released. The Townsville Chamber of Commerce would like to acknowledge our corporate partners, James Cook University, 106.3 Star FM, External IT and NQAV for their continued support.